First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. You know, a lot of those psalms we were singing, I love God's providence, but in all those songs, psalms we were singing, the writer referred to the danger of being ashamed or ashamed of Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let me read a hymn that I, Brother Dave probably would have been able to find the melody. Maybe we'll try to learn it. But I want to just quote a hymn here that I found. <clears throat> And the title of it is Jesus and Shall It Ever Be. Words are Jesus and Shall It Ever Be, a mortal man, ashamed of thee, ashamed of thee whom angels praise, whose glories shine through endless days, ashamed of Jesus, sooner far let evening blush to own a star. He sheds the beams of light divine o'er this benighted soul of mine. Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend, on whom my hopes of heaven depend? No, when I blush, be this my shame, that I no more revere his name. Ashamed of Jesus, yes I may, when I have no guilt to wash away, no tear to wipe, no good to crave, no fears to quell, no soul to save. Till then, nor is my boasting vain, till then I boast a Savior slain. And oh, may this my glory be, that Christ is not ashamed of me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning desiring to see Christ. For Lord, there is nobody greater there's nobody that loves us more. There's nobody that's more endeared to our soul than Christ. Help us, we pray, to hear what the Spirit saith unto us this morning in this passage of Scripture. May we never be ashamed of suffering as a Christian. May we never be ashamed of suffering for the name of Christ. But Lord, may we boldly and loudly and faithfully and lovingly and compassionately and courageously proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray now, Father, that you would bless the preaching of thy word. Give us grace to hear. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Ever since the entrance of sin into the world... Beloved, suffering has been an inherent part of fallen man. The subject of which we're dealing with this morning is one which many seek to avoid because of the painfulness of it or the discomfort of it, and yet it's a very vital part of Christianity. There are times in this world as Christians that we rejoice and we're happy and we're glad 
rejoice evermore, the Bible says. God, Christ says, I'll give you peace and my joy. Yet there are short moments in this life, this present life of sorrow and suffering. Christ himself was called a man of suffering and sorrows. So it is something that we as believers should be not only acquainted with, but we should follow Christ's example if we're going to learn from it. But ever since the entrance of sin into this world, suffering has been an inherent part of fallen man. From the moment he is born under the suffering and sorrow of conception, Genesis chapter 3, I shall multiply your sorrows by conception, to his final breath under a suffering old age. And every moment in between, suffering is so interwoven into the very nature and fabric of fallen man that none can escape. It's often painful and vexing passion. And yet, and yet, there is an eternal difference between the suffering of sinful mankind in general and that of those who have been called into the free and sovereign grace of God through Christ Jesus. There is an eternal difference. Christ has sanctified our suffering through his own suffering. John Arrowsmith, an old Puritan preacher, said this in the difference between the world's suffering and Christians. He said the difference is so much so as the cords with which an executioner shackles a condemned malefactor and the bandage wherewith a tender surgeon Binds his patience. I thought that was very unique of a comparison. The shackles of an executioner on a condemned malefactor or the bandages of a tender surgeon on his patience. Every suffering which could ever vex the heart and soul of man Christ is now sanctified for every true believer through his own sufferings. Fiery trials are grounds for great rejoicing, Peter says. For by them we are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Reproaches for the name of Christ are made blessed by the spirit of glory and of God resting upon us. Even suffering as a Christian our blessed occasions, Peter says, to glorify God. When we consider the work of Christ's salvation and its entirety, it's not just saving us from sin, which is of itself an amazing, an amazing and grateful thing. But in his sufferings, he has sanctified every single one of our sufferings. Yet let us not vainly believe there will be no fires with the trials. There will be no sorrows in the reproaches for the name of Christ. And let us not believe that there will be no heartache for the suffering as a Christian. I'm not saying that reproaches and fiery trials and sufferings are painless. They are. 
Christ himself wept over Jerusalem, did he not? Paul said, talking about the enemies of the cross, even weeping, he said. So sufferings, reproaches for Christ, suffering as a Christian, fiery trials, they do have their moments of sorrow and heartache. But because these things have been sanctified by Christ's own sufferings, there is a divine sense of happiness and joy and adoration to God which accompanies each and every one of these things. And this is what Peter is exhorting these suffering believers in his epistle to think about. There is reason for great rejoicing and joy and occasions to glorify God in all of these things because of what Christ has done in suffering in our place. That hymn we sing so often, Let sorrow do its work. More love to Thee, O Christ. Let sorrow do its work. Send grief or pain. Sweet are thy messengers. You see what the psalmist is doing? They are not just simply moments of pain. They're messengers of God because of Christ. Sweet are thy messengers. Sweet their refrain when they can sing with me. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. You know, sometimes when God reveals unto us our weaknesses and our infirmities, and yes, beloved, even our sins, it greatly humbles us, but how does it not make our hearts tender towards Christ? Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are covered and reproaches and afflictions and trials, they do the same thing for us because of what Christ has done. Oh, what a Savior, what a glorious and wonderful Savior we have in Christ who can sanctify even our deepest sorrow and distress. For unto you it is given, again I would say, <clears throat> in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him. Thank God for the gift of faith. It's given unto you. But also, you notice how it's intertwined with that? But also, to suffer for His sake. Beloved, there is an intrinsic bond and union between our faith in Christ that God has given us and suffering for his sake. There's such a bond there. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings, Paul declared it, the fellowship of Christ's suffering, that I might know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and being made conformable to his death, is how Paul described it. Made conformable to his death. Paul said something about dying daily. And in that text, he actually quotes it backwards. He talks that I may know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sufferings, and being conformable unto his death. Paul says, I want to know each and every one of those. We have an interesting union with that. We have a, a common thing with Christ as Christians with that. And Paul says, I want to know more of that. The world looks at that and says, you Christians are morbid. 
Paul says, no, there's, there's something in that, that union, that bond that we have with Christ, that we're not only given in the behalf of Christ to believe on Him, but to also suffer for His sake. What a privilege and what an honor that is. And you know, as I thought upon these things this past week, and considered the sufferings that Christ, or that was laid upon Christ, I was reminded of Isaiah 53, where it said, God seen the travail of Christ's soul and was satisfied. Again, the world says how morbid. But the Lord seen the travail of his soul and he was satisfied. Why? Because of the sacrifice he had made for you and I. And I cannot, I cannot but believe, though we could never bear the travail that Christ did, I cannot but believe that when Christ sees the travailing of our souls, when we suffer for his sake, that he's pleased and satisfied and that we become more part of Christ. He becomes more conformed into our hearts and our minds and our souls and our entire being. And I believe this is what Paul meant when he said that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings and being made conformable to his death, that I might know something about the resurrection of life to know that power of the resurrected life of Christ within me as my flesh and all that is against Him dies and is mortified. And God uses everything to, per to perform that, to perfect that, beloved. Not just reproaches and trials and sufferings, but even when He reveals unto us our weaknesses and our infirmities, it's all to take that away that we might be more conformed to the image of Christ. If you don't believe me, read Psalm 51 slowly and prayerfully. The penitent psalm. That's what I believe Peter is trying to impress upon these suffering believers in our passage. 1 Peter 4, verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. When you look at this context, you kind of think it's a strange thing that Peter would even name these things amongst Christians. These are Christians he's writing to. How can a Christian be accused or ashamed of being a murderer, a thief, or an evil? doer or a busybody these are christians he's writing how does how come peter says let none of you suffer as a murderer many had accused these suffering believers of such acts murders and thieving and evildoers and busybodies they'd been accused of those accusations but not only that in the time past many of these had walked in such sinful lives you remember ephesians 2 and colossians 3 where paul said in the time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to prince of the power of the air he said ye walk like some of these persecuted christians were before they were converted thieves and murderers and and, and and people were bringing that up against them. I know you. You are a murderer, a thief. And and Peter's saying, don't. He said, don't be a, don't be accused of that. 
Don't suffer for being called one of those. Ye were one of those. But not anymore. Some fiery trials and reproaches and sufferings were so severe, they began to question, the believers began to question if it was worth it. Do you remember David in Psalms when he looked at the prosperity of the wicked? He said, I've washed my hands in innocence. Look at how they're going around. Look at how they're, even Hebrew says if they could have, they could have went back to the country they came from, but they had a better country in sight. Let me tell you something, beloved, about reproaches and fiery trials and suffering as a Christian. Sometimes the sufferings can be so severe that a believer for a moment, even if longer, might consider if it's even worth living the Christian life. It would be so much easier if I just went with the flow. It would be so much easier if I didn't proclaim the name of Christ. It would be so much either easier if I didn't tell them that I was a follower of Christ. Maybe I wouldn't have to suffer this much. Maybe I wouldn't be so severely persecuted. Maybe I can go back to my old profession. Maybe I can do the things I used to do. Believe it, these thoughts were running through the minds of these suffering believers. The problem is our generation of believers in this world anyway, this part of the world, maybe not in other parts, but in this part, has never suffered such severity of trials. They've never been brought to that point of saying, you know, this is a lot. And so some of them were beginning to think twice. And Peter says, oh, don't do that. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody. And other man's matters. Yet notice how the Apostle Peter would exhort them to never be ashamed for suffering as a Christian. Notice how the Apostle Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, uses this, and it's very interesting. And I want you to notice the connection of verses 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers as a Christian, you see how he diverts their minds and attentions back to suffering as a Christian? But if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be disgraced. As a Christian... What makes this exhortation so interesting is that this is the only place in Scripture where a believer is referred to from another believer as a Christian. Check that out when you get home. There's only three references to Christians in the New Testament. One of it, in Acts, when it says that Antioch, they were first called Christians. Some say maybe the Christians called them themselves, but most believe that the world said, you guys are acting like Christians, little small Christ. So the world gave him that name. Oh, you're Christians. And then another one, when Felix was there, uh, or Agrippa was there, and he's talking to Paul, and he says, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. But you won't find Paul using that phrase anywhere in his epistles, nor John, nor Jude. Nobody calls another believer Christian except Peter. And I believe the Holy Spirit led him to say that because that was the name that we had got from the heathen or from the world, and they were 
reproaching them by calling them Christians. And God in his infinite wisdom and mercy turned that thing around and said, don't be ashamed to be called a Christian. It's their own phrase. They're reproaching you for being called a Christian, but don't be ashamed of that because it's a good thing to be a Christian. It's a good thing for them to accuse you of that. Why? Well, again, the name Christian was mean, actually means they were little Christ. They, they were in Antioch. They're saying, you guys are acting like Christ. You're trying to be little Christ, imitating Christ. And Peter said, don't be ashamed of that. He's using the world's own word, which they wanted to use to reproach believers. He's using their own word and saying, don't be afraid of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Let them, let, them, let them call you a Christian. Suffer as a Christian. It's amazing. We're in Acts chapter 11. I'll show you Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the first reference to it. They were called Christians at Antioch. Look over in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. This is the second reference. Paul sitting here talking to King Agrippa. Paul says in verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Another, this is a heathen saying, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Paul didn't call him any Christians. Agrippa said, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And the third reference is Peter. Peter says, Yet if a man, any, any of you suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Nobody else uses that except Peter. Now, that's kind of odd how, how the generation we live in now, like some of the hymns we sang or psalms we sang, um, there's a, there a lot of reference to Christian, Christian, Christian. We use it. We throw it around. We're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But it's strange that nobody, no believer in the New Testament, no believer except Peter in the New Testament ever called another believer Christian. They called them children of God, the elect, God's children, saints of God, but they never called them Christian. But he tells the suffering Christians in his epistle, he said, don't be ashamed to be called. That is a, to me, that is amazing how God does that. He didn't say, don't be ashamed to be called a believer or God's children. He said, don't be ashamed. He said, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. The infinite wisdom of God they accuse you of being murderers, thieves, evildoers. Let none of you suffer as such. But never be ashamed when, they, when you suffer as a Christian. But, he says in verse 16, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Look at that. Don't be ashamed. Don't be disgraced. But let him glorify God What on this behalf, on one behalf, that you're suffering as a Christian. So it's almost like God is sanctifying that name. I love how God takes the foolishness of the world, don't you? <laughs> they meant it for reproach. Oh, we know that God directs the hearts of all men, right? 
So we know this wasn't something man came up with and God said, oh, good, that's a good name. I think I'll use that now. There was a reason for it. They were accusing them of these acts, murderers, thieves, evildoers, busybodies. Peter said, no, no, and he uses their own phrase. The own, the own term they used as a reproach. Peter says, no, if, they, if you suffer as a Christian, you're, don't be ashamed of that, but glorify God on this. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the speeder of this world? Paul said, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. So Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, the only one says, they're calling you Christian. They're, you're suffering because they say you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of that. Ashamed of what? Don't be ashamed because you're despised or mistreated. Don't be ashamed of the fellowship of the saints. Don't be ashamed of the doctrines of our holy Christian faith. Don't be ashamed to call Christ your Savior. Don't be ashamed to call him Lord. Don't be ashamed of Christ. Didn't the Lord say, if men are ashamed of me, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father? Peter is saying, don't be ashamed if they call you a Christian, if, they, if you suffer because they call you a Christian or because you are a Christian. He said, but on this, let them glorify God on this behalf. Don't be ashamed. Now, that word ashamed really actually engulfs a lot of things, and I think many of us in many ways, at one time or another in our Christian walk, have been guilty of being ashamed of our faith, of Christ, of our fellow believers. Peter's basically saying, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed if you suffer as a Christian. Look at Second Timothy chapter 1. A lot of people claim to be suffering in this world, but the question is, are they suffering as Christians? You follow what I'm talking about? A lot of times we think just any kind of suffering is a suffering as a Christian. That's not true. He says, if you suffer as a Christian, for your beliefs. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes here. He says here, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Well, let's start in verse 7. He's talking to Timothy. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed, there's that word again, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Now watch this. For the which cause I also suffer these things. I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. You see? Suffering and ashamed. You see how Peter and Paul put ashamed together with suffering? It seems to me that when we suffer as a Christian, sometimes we're in danger of being ashamed of our faith. Unlike that of reproaches in the name of Christ or fiery trials, when we suffer as a Christian, it seems as though the Scriptures put shame in there, like that's the greatest danger we have when we're suffering as a Christian. It's being ashamed of our faith, of our Christian life of our 
brethren of our love, devotion to God. He says, for which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm not ashamed. I suffer these things. Suffer and being ashamed. God help us not to be ashamed when we suffer as a Christian. He never uses that word ashamed with reproaches or fiery trials, but he, he does with suffering as a Christian. We're in Acts chapter 5. A few things before we wind this down here, because I'm really looking forward to get into the latter part where Peter ends this chapter, because it goes so well together with what he's talking about. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Let's show an example of what he's talking about. Acts chapter 5. In verse 41, well, let's start in verse 40. And to them they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They beat them. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were shamed publicly. When they did beatings, it was publicly. They wanted everybody to see it. They were publicly shamed. You know who else was publicly shamed? Like no mortal man on earth? The Son of God. As he hung naked upon a cross, beaten beyond recognition. The Son of God. The Prince of Glory. Open shame before the world. Never be ashamed of that. He bore our shame and our sorrow. So Peter says, never, never be ashamed for suffering as a Christian. But glorify God on the behalf of that. They glorify God. You know what Christ's shame did? It glorified the Father. You say that's, read Isaiah 53. He suffered grief and shame. The rail of his soul. We esteemed him smitten, stricken of God. See how ignorant man is? Man said, that's God's punishment. No. No. That was ours. Yes, God... God was one that struck his son, but he struck him for us and because of us. They, that they were they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Worthy. Counted worthy. To suffer shame for his name. Look, what an amazing thing. They counted it worthy. Over in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20. Paul says it even greater here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Listen to how it's wording. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ 
shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see how Paul even mentions shame when he's talking about suffering? He's jailed. He doesn't know if he's going to be coming out of it. He says, this is my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Why? Because Paul sensed that temptation as well. And I'll be ashamed of Christ. There's coming a time, dearly beloved, and I believe that in the context of First Peter, judgment beginning in the house of God, there's coming a time, and it's upon us now, that we're going to suffer as Christians, and we're going to understand, we're going to understand more deeply the danger and temptation of being shamed of Christ. Do you want to publicly profess Christianity? It's easy now. What, what persecutions do we face? Most Christians live. Christianity within the walls of their church and they go back to work on Monday and they leave their Christianity in church. They're quiet and submissive and still throughout the week. They don't raise much alarm. Only if somebody happens to press them, oh yeah, yeah, I go to church. But they don't make it a point to proclaim Christ. Then they don't make it a point to testify that the work that the world's works are evil, they don't make a point to live for Christ as they did. They they, they went places. They did things. I mean, I don't know. I don't maybe understand if I would do what he did. But even George Whitfield would get up in the middle of a boxing ring. Now I'm not saying boxing. He thought it was a sin. He'd get up in the middle of a boxing ring and try to stop him from boxing, claiming that's a sin against God and. People that were traveling with him have to drag him out of the ring before they beat him. When they seen it, they testified that the works of the world are evil. When he says not be ashamed to suffer as a Christian, it's when we're living the Christian life. It's not just saying, I'm a Christian. But that time is going to change. And I believe we're facing that. And I believe Christians are going to begin to suffer. May God give us grace not to be ashamed. My earnest expectation and my hope is that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Of Christ. Hebrews 12. And I'll bring this to a close. Hebrews 12. Two and three, how do we do that? How, is, how can we possibly? Well, scriptures, again, give us answers. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, beginning and the end there, the Omega, the author and the Omega, who for the joy that set, was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, Lest ye be wearied and faint, where? In your minds. Consider him. Lest ye be faint in your minds. Be wearied and faint in your minds. That's how we suffer as Christians. By staying very close to Christ. Because he makes it all worth it.
Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Four. And this is why I'm saying all these things, Peter said. For the time is come. The judgment must begin at the house of God. How does it begin? Fiery trials, reproaches for the name of Christ, suffering as a Christian. For the time has come that judgment must, they're coming, they're here. Begins at the house of God. May God give us grace to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And may we ever be aware that fire trials are not strange, but we should rejoice because we're partakers of Christ's sufferings. That we should be happy for reproach for the name of Christ, for the glory of for the spirit of glory and God rests upon us, and that if we suffer as a Christian, we should never be ashamed, but let us use it as occasion to glorify God on behalf of suffering for the name of Christ. Oh, may Christ, may Christ give us grace and mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this text in Peter. Lord, we look forward now, Father, to see the closing exhortation Peter has. We thank you, Lord, for revealing these things unto us. And Father, like the hymn that I quoted in the beginning of this sermon, how I pray. I pray that, Lord, we'd never be ashamed of him who is the Savior of our souls. And that one day, Lord God, that he'd never be ashamed of us. And yet, Lord, we know he won't because his power salvation is so perfect. He will perfect that which concerneth us. He performeth all things for us. Paul says, I'm persuaded that he's going to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day. Father, he's never lost a sheep and never will. Dear God, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us for these latter days. Help us, dear God, we pray, to ever draw nigh to Christ. Lord, bless now this day and the week before us, you know, the trials and troubles, the decisions we all have to make. Lord, you know the sorrows and tragedies of life, things that remind us of the brevity of this life. We pray for our loved ones, dear God. We pray for your mercy and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.